title of the message this morning is, Without Jesus, Life is Empty. Without Jesus, Life is Empty. We're looking at scripture in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And we've listed verses 1 through 43, but I'm not going to read all those this morning. I'm going to read part of those to you this morning. And so, if you would, if you're able, stand with me and we'll begin reading in John chapter 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, Give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And we're going to end our reading there with verse 19 at this time. So bow your heads with me for prayer. Lord, as we come to this very important moment in the service when the word of God is presented, when we are open to what the scriptures say and as our minds are fixed on the Lord, we ask, dear Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you would accomplish what you wish to accomplish in this service this morning, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives both today and in the days ahead. <clears throat> we ask, dear Lord, for the constant, for the continual leadership of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to realize how important it is to be fully open to the full will of God in our lives, to dedicate ourselves entirely, and to say that we are yours in every area and every detail of our lives. We know, dear Lord, that you are the one who can fill a life with your presence 
and bring peace and joy into our lives. Now help us, we pray, as we look at the word this morning, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A very familiar scripture, and sometimes uh, when we speak from the word of God, we realize that uh, there are there are many different topics that could be addressed, and I think we need to stay focused on the fact that people people need the Lord, people need salvation, and without Jesus, life is indeed empty. Uh, there isn't fulfillment in life if we do not have the Lord. And we need to know that Jesus wants to fill every part of our lives, that it's not just a forgiveness of sins, but it's also letting the Holy Spirit have full control of our lives to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis to know Him. So looking at this scripture this morning, uh, there are some things that we think we know because we've read the scripture many times. And uh, so we can, we can kind of tune out a little bit and say, oh, we know this scripture. We know what it says. We know what it's all about. Uh, doubtful that the preacher can say anything new this morning that is going to inspire or, or inform our minds. Uh, so uh, this familiarity becomes an enemy to us, doesn't it? to really hear what scripture is saying and to really let the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. I thought, uh, and I guess I've never really spoken to this first verse uh, where it says um, that when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard, so there was a buzz among the Pharisees that uh, this, Jesus is becoming more popular than John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus uh, is baptizing more people than John. That was the buzz among the Pharisees. Uh, and so the Bible says Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples were doing the baptizing. But at any rate, uh, there, was, there was talk then about how Jesus was becoming more popular. So it became, it was becoming a contest, as it were. <clears throat> and Jesus wasn't into contests. Uh, Jesus came to preach the gospel. And he wasn't trying to outdo anyone or out be more popular than another. Uh, he wasn't trying to displace John. Rather than having a controversy, the Bible tells us Jesus left Judea and headed up north. He went up to, to Galilee or started that way. When he was going to Galilee, Samaria laid in the path. Uh, he didn't have to go through Samaria. When you, when you read this, you say uh, that he must needs go through Samaria. There were actually three different roads that he could take. He could have gone over uh, to the west, gone up along the Mediterranean. He could have, he could have gone uh, another route, and I can't think of exactly what that was, as well as this route. This was the most direct that he took, and the fastest. Uh, but Jesus wasn't really in a hurry to get up to Galilee. So we don't really think that he took this route because uh, it was advantageous to him uh, to get where he was going faster. Uh, we think rather it was a divine appointment because if he did not go through Samaria, then he would not meet this woman. And so it was divinely orchestrated, we believe, by the Lord that he would come at just the right time and have this encounter 
with this woman, this woman of, of less than moral virtue uh, here at the well, and that his disciples would be gone. Uh, and so the scripture shows us the, the human side of Jesus, that uh, he comes to this well and the scripture tells us that he was weary. Uh, in verse 6, being wearied with his journey. Uh, he got tired just like we did, just like we do, I should say. Uh, he became weary and wanted to sit down. I find that I do that more all the time, folks. Uh, I have chairs here and there outside that uh, are just, I mean, they're not comfortable little chairs where you can sit back and lounge on a cushion. Uh, they're actually chairs that somebody was going to throw away. And they had good metal frames, and I thought, well, why should these things go in the trash? So I confiscated them and cut out pieces of, of uh, treated plywood and made little clamps and bolted that plywood onto those frames. And so they're here and there, wherever. Uh, if I want to sit down out by the garden a little bit, I can. Uh, if I want to sit down a little further out around the barn, I can do that. It just feels good to sit down. And uh, so when I go to the chiropractor, they have me fill out a thing about what I do for my back, and I put down that when it hurts, I rest. And so <laughs> I found that's about the cheapest thing I can do uh, to help me and get myself going again. So Jesus was weary and he sat on the well, even though he was a pretty young guy. He was, he was in his 30s, he was a pretty young fella. But he still got tired and he sat down. Now, Samaria, those of you that are Bible scholars, you know that there was a time when there was a capital city of Jerusalem and there still was at this time, but there was also a capital city of Samaria and that, that one of them was called the, the Southern Kingdom, that was Jerusalem, the other further north, that was called the Northern Kingdom. They were all Jews, they were all Jews. So. Uh, they were just uh, following different leaders. And I won't go into that because I'll lose you somewhere along the way. They were following different leaders. But the, the kingdom of Jerusalem maintained a godly influence for a longer time than the northern kingdom, whose capital was Samaria. Uh, they didn't have, I don't think they had one righteous king in the northern kingdom. Uh, and God tried to bring them back to himself, but they would not come. So God judged them. And God allowed that northern kingdom to be carried away into captivity. Uh, and they were taken to Iraq uh, a long ways from their homeland. And the whole idea was displace them so they cannot regroup and go into battle with the king of Assyria, who was the one that conquered them. God allowed it to happen. God allowed it to take place because they were disobedient to him. In place of those people that were carried away, the king of Assyria brought in foreigners and put them into this northern kingdom whose capital used to be Samaria. And the whole northern section then was called Samaria. And so, yeah, you still had, you still had a, a major city there, Samaria. <coughs> but 
you see how their power was broken because these people are strangers. They don't know the land. They don't know anything about uh, where natural resources are, where they could amass an army and fight. So you have foreigners who are brought in. Now, not every single Jew was carried out of the land of Samaria, out of the northern kingdom. And so there were some of them that stayed there. There were poor people that stayed there, people that could do menial tasks so that the land would not be overrun with wildlife and, and overgrown. And the scripture tells us that these people that were brought in then intermarried with the Jews that were left there. And so you have, you have a cultural mix. You have people that, yeah, they know about God, some of them do, but they're, they're intermarried with heathen people. So that, that is what we're going to call the northern kingdom. So you still have, yes, eventually Jerusalem and the southern kingdom was taken into captivity too. They did come back. And there was a move of God for them to be back in their land, to re-inhabit their area again. Uh, and there was, if you read in the book of Nehemiah, you'll see where these people that are not through and through full-blooded Jews try to intermingle with Jews that are brought back into Jerusalem in that area. Well, as a result, the people who were what we would consider of a mixed race, they were not fully Jews, they built a temple at the, the foot of Mount Gerizim. Uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal were mountains or high hills as you come into, into Israel. Uh, they built their temple because that area, Shechem, is where Abraham first sacrificed to the Lord. Uh, but they only accepted the first five books of Moses. They didn't accept the whole Old, Old Testament. So you have the Jews embracing the whole Old Testament that are at Jerusalem. You have these people we're calling Samaritans who were in the northern part. They only take the first five books. And so the scripture tells us that uh, the Jews, the pure-blooded Jews did not accept the Samaritans. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? He was a good Samaritan because he should have been one that would not help a Jew at all, but he did. And so we have somebody that should have been at odds, but he embraced a Jew that had a need. So hopefully I haven't taken too long to explain that to you. Many of you already knew that. So when we see Jesus coming to Samaria, many of the Jews would not have anything to do with Samaritans. Now, it's noteworthy when Jesus is here and whatever time of day, there's a little controversy about whether it was 12 o'clock or 6 o'clock. I like to think it was 12 o'clock. I think it was lunchtime. Uh, but you might differ with me on that. Uh, the disciples went away to get food in town. So a good Jew, if they were really against the Samaritans, wouldn't have let the Samaritans touch anything they were going to eat. And so we see that they were not of the hardcore that rejected the Samaritans. So they're off to get food. Jesus is left there by himself, and this lone woman comes. She does not come with other women. This is significant because women usually came as a group to get their water. The other women must have come earlier 
or were waiting to come later because evidently they didn't want to have anything to do with this morally defiled woman. And so they would come at another time when they could be in a group by themselves. So thus this woman is by herself. She comes to this ancient well. Uh, We could go back in Genesis and read where they fought over water rights and where wells were dug. In fact, I was going to preach on that this morning and got redirected. Uh, But uh, this well was significant, and you see that the whole family of Jacob drank out of this well and his flocks. You read that, all of his flocks and herds. It was a strong well. We're told originally it was 105 feet deep. This was a dug well. And yeah, they said about seven feet diameter. Uh, So imagine digging this well, going down 105 feet and and probably using some kind of a bucket or whatever to get the dirt out of there so they could keep going down and going down until it's believed finally they hit a shaft of water that was a fresh spring. And so that would make this well very valuable indeed. Now over time it has eroded and they say the latest I read on it was it's about 75 feet deep and it doesn't always have water because some of the sides have caved in. So maybe you know more about Jacob's well now than what you wanted to know. But that's the story on Jacob's well. Uh, And so uh, the scripture tells us Jesus is setting here. Uh, This is not a community well, as it were, because you had to bring your own utensil to draw water out of it. Jesus didn't have anything like that. This woman came, evidently she came with what she needed to drop a utensil, a bucket or whatever down into that well and bring water out. And so uh, Jesus is sitting there on the well with the disciples going, he should not speak to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. Women were considered to be on the same level as dogs. Uh, they They were very disrespected. And so when Jesus spoke to this woman, uh, he was going against all the religious beliefs, all the practices of tradition, I probably should say, which were do not speak to a woman, let alone speak to a Samaritan woman. Do not do that. But Jesus had a special purpose, didn't he? This woman was lost. This woman needed a savior. And Jesus spoke to her about his need first. Uh, Will you give me a drink? And she's taken aback. Uh, How is it that you being a Jew... Ask me for a drink. I'm a woman of Samaria, verse 9 says. And then we're told the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Uh, But Jesus said, I've got something more than water that I could give you. I could give you from the free-flowing water of salvation that only God can supply uh, you would, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water. Now, he's not talking about physical water. He's talking about a water of salvation that brings satisfaction through the presence of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, questions begin to go back and forth. And... The scripture says that when the woman began to ponder this for just a little bit, she thought, wow, if he can give me water that I don't thirst anymore, 
and I don't have to come and draw out of this well. I'm going to be way ahead. Isn't it something today that we consider ourselves to be so advanced, and yet uh, we don't have time to do a lot of things uh, that need to be done. We say, well, we don't have time. We don't have time to visit. We don't have time uh, to take uh, this to a family member, to do that, or to care for this one or that one. We don't have time. And yet, you know, I, I can drop a couple slices of bread. Yeah, I still use a toaster. I like a toaster instead of a toaster oven. I've got one, but I like a toaster. I can drop that. It takes maybe a little over a minute, maybe a couple minutes, and the toast pops up. And I can butter it or put Miracle Whip on it. If I'm going to have a bacon tomato sandwich, I'm going to put Miracle Whip on it. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, it's very convenient. Or I've got a microwave, so I made myself some fresh green beans, potatoes, and ham, smoked ham. And, and it's cold, but I can put that on a plate, put that in the microwave, put it in for about three minutes, and those whole potatoes are hot. They've already been cooked, and I can split them and put a little butter on them. And, uh, it's pretty quick. I've got the whole thing. I microwave my corn, fresh corn on the cob. I put it in a microwave after it's husk. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm doing two or three years, which is about what I do, I'll put it in for a minute and a half or maybe two minutes is pushing it a little bit. Because all I want to do, you know, microwave heats to the inside out. I just want that cob hot. And so I put that in a microwave, but in the meantime, while I'm husking the corn, I've got water boiling on the stove. And so the water has come to a boil, the corn's done in the microwave, I take it out, I put it in the water, because now I want to cook the kernels. I want the kernels to be cooked. And so I duck it in the, in the boiling water, takes a couple minutes, and don't want it to turn the kernel a different color. I want it to stay the natural color, then I fish it out of there, put it on a plate, put some stick butter on there and some salt, and I, I've got a feast. Uh, and, and the corn's not tough. You know, you can cut it. You can cook it so long, it's tough. So don't do that. But you know, we got all these conveniences, uh, all these things that are just so handy. I, a little hot in the house yesterday while I was studying, I dropped the thermostat back. Yeah, it was on 80. And it got pretty stuffy, so I dropped it back to 77 and felt a little cool air that way. Uh, we've got conveniences, don't we? I mean, we still don't have time. we got less time today to do things that we ought to do than what our ancestors had that had a wash board or a ringer washer <clears throat> and uh, had to didn't have all this convenience of stain removers and so forth, automatic washing machines, dryers, had to tote the laundry out and hang it on the line, but we don't have time today. We don't have time. Yeah, well, and the more conveniences we get, you know, you can't get away from that smartphone. Uh, I'm with people, they're riding with me in the car, I don't have a smartphone, but you know, Constantly, bing, bing, bing. Somebody's wanting to talk. Somebody's got something to say. You can't get away from it. Uh, and if, that, if that's not enough, then you got all the robocalls that come in. Uh, senior, I'm with senior Medicaid, and, and so they, they want to give you their spiel. Yeah, we've got a lot of conveniences today, but we miss out on a lot of the common things, don't we? enjoyable things that enrich our lives and so yeah uh, Jesus had time to talk to this woman about her spiritual needs I wondered about this woman <clears throat> you know we look at her at face value don't we uh, 
yeah, this, this is a woman of Samaria. No, nobody wanted to have anything to do with her. Was she the one that, was she the one that caused these divorces that we assume took place? Uh, Jesus said, you've said, I have no husband. You've had five husbands. So she was married five times. Uh, the way I read this, unless I'm reading past something, five times she was married. And he whom thou now hast is not the husband. Doesn't look like Jesus embraced common law marriage, does it? She was living with somebody, but it wasn't her husband. Jesus said it's not your husband. Doesn't matter if you're living together or not. Uh, if, if you're sharing living quarters together, you haven't gone through a service of commitment to each other. I'm disappointed today because of some people that claim to be Christian uh, a spouse has died, and they just move somebody in because they're friends. It's not because they're renting a room to them. They're acting as a wife or a husband. Uh, but they don't want to go through the nuisance of a marriage because of legal problems or, uh, or obligations or whatever. But Jesus didn't recognize it, did he? He said, the one that you're living with now is not your husband. They had not gone through a formal ceremony, public ceremony, whatever, uh, a covenant between the two of them uh, to make it known. So Jesus said, doesn't matter if you're living together, it's not your husband. Well, that's a side note, isn't it? That's a side note. That, that just comes out of what Jesus is saying. What about this woman? Married five times. You think she had any kids? Uh, you, she was probably... 30, wasn't she, you think? I mean, give, give a little bit of time to these marriages. Can you, can you go with me there? Do you think she was probably 30 or in her 30s? Or, or maybe a little older than that? Did your mind ever, ever go into that kind of a, a, a investigation as to what, what was going on with this woman? People today are in desperate situations because they don't know the Lord. They don't know how to follow the teachings of God. I read a book recently. <clears throat> it was written by a man that Dr. Mark Smith, now we've had some Smiths, and the Ron Smith that we have now at the university is kind of comical because he said, any old Smith will do because we had Mark Smith there. And uh, so Mark Smith had a friend named Benny Tate. Benny Tate came and spoke to us at university. I don't know how many times Benny Tate was there. Um, I certainly I didn't hear him every time he was there. Uh, but I did go down for a special time and, and heard Benny Tate. Benny Tate is the president of the Congregational Methodist denomination. Um, he is a PhD, he has served for over 30 years as the senior pastor of Rock Springs Church in Milner, Georgia. <clears throat> He has served many times as chaplain for the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. Very interesting fellow. But when I heard Benny Tate speak, I didn't realize some of the things about his life that are very interesting uh, because he had things happen to him that should have destroyed him. Uh, but, but God worked in the situations and, and he saw that he could use Benny Tate and Benny Tate began to respond to the Lord. Now I, especially when a person's still alive, I don't want to elevate them to a status that is 
too high because people fail, don't they? It's too bad, but people do fail. Who never fails? Jesus never fails. So I always want to exalt him. So whatever I say about, about Benny Tate, I'm only saying because God has used him and because he has been a faithful servant of the Lord, but I point you around Benny Tate to Jesus and say, look to Jesus and follow Jesus. But Benny, De Benny Tate does have an interesting history because uh, he starts his book out, which is called Defy the Odds. He says, the pregnant 20-year-old girl with fiery red hair and simple worn clothes climbed into the car with the man she was dating, but she had no idea where they were headed as they rode in silence. His face, hard and cold, the day was bleak with gray skies that offered no warmth, and the mood in that car, car mirrored the weather. They pulled into the parking lot at a doctor's office, but it didn't look like a place anyone would willingly go for medical care. The building was old and the signage out front was unprofessional. She thought perhaps the man she was with needed medical attention and she worried and she asked questions on their walk inside. Are we here for you? Do you need to see a doctor? The man looked at her with grave seriousness and said, no, this is not about me. I've set up something for you. You're going to abort that baby. You don't need it. Much to her shock, everything was ready for her to walk right in and abort her child. She was scared. No one was going to kill her baby. But how could she afford to manage on her own now that she knew he had no intention of helping her? She immediately ran out the door. No matter what he had, she had to do, she would raise her child. See, she had quite a few things against her, and I'm not going to read for you word for word on things, so don't worry about that. Um, she only had a sixth grade education. She already had a three-year-old daughter that she was taking care of. And so now to have another child and to have this boyfriend who's, who wasn't the father of this baby to tell her that he was not on board, that he was not going to help her. Uh, Benny Tate was the baby, and he believed that uh, his biological father was, was Lee Tate, but we'll find out later that that's not who his father was. Uh, <clears throat> he was born in 1964, November 9, if you want the date, 1964. This book that I'm using <clears throat> was written in 2022, so I'm not looking at an ancient book. It's a very recent book off the press. And the Bible, or rather the, the book that Benny Tate wrote, and as I said in the introduction, Benny Tate is a well-known minister now. Uh, Pastors Rock Springs Church in Milner, Georgia. And I looked online at, it's a massive, it's a massive church. They say over 8,000 members and people from 48 countries that subscribe online to the services. And so he's very well known. But his mom would not allow him to be aborted, even though her life was so complicated and conflicted. She was determined she was gonna, she was gonna raise him and his sister. So there was four years between Rhonda, his sister, and him by the time he was born. How was 
Melba, who was his mother's name, going to raise these two kids. And I'm speaking to you about people, people whose lives are in states of disarray because of not following God's laws and God's rules and their lives are empty and their lives are hopeless and they need to know Jesus as their savior. They need to know the way of life. This, this mother, Melba, <clears throat> had someone watch the kids. She worked by day in a shirt factory and, and in a, a diner at night. So she was gone all day just trying to get enough money to supply the needs of these kids. And we're told that this little guy that had, had his life had been saved by a determined mother was given to an older woman because we're told that mom could not be there. She had to work to get the money. And so she found an old Pentecostal woman named Jenny Travis, who lived across the street from their apartment complex. And so she's the one that would be responsible for raising this little child, Benny, for the first five years of his life. It's quite a story because uh, Mama is who, what he called his mom, but this Jenny Travis, uh, he called Mammy. And Mammy loved the Lord. And even though she was old-fashioned, listen to this description, she wore her gray hair tied up in a bun, wore long dresses. I can't remember a time when she wasn't wearing long skirts. And she looked ready to head to church for Sunday service at any given moment. Her colored cardigans always matched her dress. Her large framed glasses sat perched high on her nose. Mammy agreed to watch me while Mama was at work each day. But she had one issue to fix before I could stay with her. She said she couldn't pronounce his name. His name was Vincent. So she wanted to just call me Benny. From that moment on, I've been Benny Tate. Because <laughs> she couldn't say Vincent. But we're told here in the book that she would place her hands on his head each day and pray, God, you have a great plan for this baby. I want you to keep him safe. I know you're going to use this child in a very special way. Uh, she prayed for provision, blessings and provision in his life. She told me about Jesus long before I could walk or talk. She had pictures on every wall of Jesus. And she would point to those pictures and say, Benny, that's Jesus. And he got so he knew that name Jesus. He said, while other kids learned to say Dada as their first word, he didn't have a daddy that he knew. Or Mama. And he was with someone that was not his mother. His very first word was Jesus. His very first word was Jesus because of Jenny Travis telling him about Jesus. So she did the best she could for five years. Imagine that, five years of having him day after day. And... Finally, one day, his mama came to Mammy's house to pick him up. And she, she told 
Mammy or Jenny Travis that they were going to move away. So we packed our bags and moved in with my mother's boyfriend. Guess who that was? It was Bill, the guy that had wanted to abort the baby. He had offered to give a place for them to live and mother was worn out, needed. She could not get a good job because of her lack of education. And so they went to Shady Rest, Tennessee. But he said there was nothing restful or peaceful about living with Bill. He said, my mother wished to pursue a relationship with him because he was a man of some means and she was struggling just to put food on the table. And so we're told that they moved in with him and he was a hard, vile man. Benny uh, said it was not unusual for Bill to lay him over the bed and lay the belt on him until he could hardly walk the next day. That he would call him names and tell him how stupid he was they were digging post holes. He said it would, he tried his best to suit Bill, but if he messed up in one little detail, Bill would go off on him. He said he would throw rocks at him and call him names, call him an illegitimate child and, and let him and his sister know that they were not his. He had Evidently a kid or two. Benny doesn't go into that. But evidently Benny's mom was taking care of Bill's kids too. And so he had a package company, a packaging company. And mom worked there. She worked all day. Uh, he said Bill was a lazy man. Bill sat back and visited with the customers and just enjoyed himself while mom was lifting the heavy boxes and stocking the shelves and, and seeing that everything was ready for business. He said, <clears throat> after a work day, mom would come home, bathe all the kids, see that they had food, put them in bed. Bill wouldn't be there <clears throat> because Bill was a drinker. Bill went out drinking after he got off work, and then he would come in drunk. And he said he would beat his mother, Bill would beat his mother, and he said, I didn't know how to pray, but I, I would pray that God would, would not let Bill beat my mom. He said he, he beat my mother, he said he would fly into a rage over the least little thing, pick an argument, pick a fight. And so mother called the police many times, but that did not change Bill. He said many times we were awakened in the night and we were told, grab your clothes, grab whatever you can. We've got to get out of here. Because Bill's coming and he's mad. We've got to get out of here. He said at least 20 times over seven years. They had to grab their belongings and flee for their life. Terrible, terrible situation. And people were afraid to help. Because Bill would say, if you leave me, I'm going to come after you and I'm going to kill all three of you. I'm going to bring my gun. I'm going to kill all three of you. Naturally, anyone was afraid to get involved with them because they were afraid they would be collateral damage. They would be killed also. And so they were stuck. And 
things continued to spiral downward. Bill told Benny later, not Bill, but Bill's mother told Benny later that Bill told her, told his mother, if, if you leave me, I will mess your face up so no man will ever want to look at you. And so they lived in constant fear. So I just wonder if you let your mind go kind of into what might have been going on with this woman. Do you think she might have had kids? Do you think she might have been through a lot of mistreatment? It was the man that had the say in that society. And yet, she's found herself rejected time and time again. She has no hope. And folks, we live in a world today, you don't know the people you're talking to, of what their desperation may be, what they may face when they go home. Uh, we, know, we know tragedies strike. And we need to be watchful. If we can share Jesus with somebody, we might be the means of helping them know a Savior that can rescue them from a desperate situation. There's a little more I want to share with you about Benny Tate. I'm not going to tell you his whole story, but I want to tell you a little bit more about how God rescued him and his sister and his mother. And how God began to work in their lives. Because it'll give you maybe a little bit of glimpse of hope in the people you deal with. That you know you might be the one. You might be the one. Even at a relative's home. Even in a good friend's home. They might need to hear some words of hope from you about how Jesus can bring peace and satisfaction and he can calm strife. And he can bring good things to pass out of bad things in our lives. Yeah, you've had, you've had five. And now you're just living with a man. And she was so taken aback that Jesus knew all about her. But Jesus knows all about us, doesn't he? He knows all about our lives, about our friends. And we need, to, we need to be aware that we need to show hope. We need to show satisfaction in our lives with what Jesus has done and help others to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's all I'm going to do with this, this morning. A little different. Leave you, leave you with a cliffhanger. Uh, so uh, we'll take it up next week, the good Lord willing. And we'll read a little more of the scripture here. So stand with me if you would.